Okay. Can you look up here for just a second? I want you to tell me, what am I doing? Okay, somebody, somebody said yawning. By the way, for the purpose of the recording, those of you that are listening to this on audio, I have my mouth open with my hand over it, okay? So picture that. Okay. What am I doing? I'm, I'm yawning. Okay, that's one suggestion. That's a good suggestion. I might be yawning. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. <laughs> I won't go to sleep during the sermon, I promise. What else? Starting your mouth, but you said Okay, guarding your mouth and what? Not talking. Not. <laughs> hmm? Oh yeah, there you go. Surprise! A gasp. Okay. I want you to think about those two emotions: yawning and a gasp. Okay. Interesting, huh? I wonder. When we open God's Word, when we look at the Bible together, do you do so with a yawn? Or do you do so with a gasp? When was the last time that you can say that when you opened God's Word you went, and you really gasped? at what you had to read. This morning as we conclude our series of lessons entitled The Fruit of the Spirit, Nine Virtues of the Christian Life, I hope and pray that you will approach Galatians 5, 22 and 23 with a gasp. But the fruit, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Now we've read this passage over and over again for the past nine Sundays from various different translations and perhaps it's our tendency at this point to kind of yawn our way through these two key verses. But let's don't do that today. Especially as we come to this final inner quality of a genuine, authentic Christ follower and that's self-control. Of all these virtues, this fruit is one that ought to make us gasp. Why? Because self-control must be the hardest. (laughs) Or certainly one of the very hardest virtues to understand and apply. And I must say this, unless... We gasp. We will not grasp. Unless we gasp, we will not grasp what God has in store for us this morning. Read Proverbs 25 and verse 28 out loud with me. A person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. What a word picture. Gasp. Huh? So let's dig in and see what we can learn together about this ever so important fruit of self-control. Beginning with self-control explained. If you look up 
self-control in the dictionary, you'll find a definition something like this. I put it in your notes. The ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires, or the expression of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. Some synonyms include self-discipline, restraint, self-possession, willpower. Now the word that's translated self-control here in Galatians 5.23 is only used four times in the New Testament. Literally, it is a compound Greek word, enkrataia, en meaning in the sphere of or within, and kratos meaning mastery. You put the two together and it literally means mastery from within. The King James Version translates it temperance, but I think it's better translated self-control. Maybe even self-mastery. Now when the Greeks wanted to illustrate self-control, they built a statue of a man or of a woman in perfect proportion. Because to them, self-control was the proper ordering and balancing of the individual. Now, Aristotle once said, I count him braver who overcomes his own desires than him who conquers his enemies, for the hardest victory is the victory over self. Ah, that's good. Plato believed that our animal urges must be governed or else they will produce a, quote, feverish state in the soul, a city of pigs which knows no limits, unquote. They simply put, when we're not self-controlled, our life is like a pigsty. That's quite a word picture. Now, while self-control is, in fact, a good translation of this Greek word, it's a bit deceiving because we all know firsthand that we cannot control ourselves simply through our own willpower or fierce determination. Self-control is much more than just self-help. Perhaps the Apostle Paul expressed our dilemma best when he wrote in Romans chapter 7, What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to. This I keep doing. What a wretched man I am. You identify with that? (laughs) That's kind of like, yeah, been there. That brings us then to this definition. Self-control, I think, can only be explained as spirit control. Write this down in your lesson notes. To be self-controlled is to be spirit controlled. To be self-controlled is to be spirit controlled. I mean, this virtue, after all, is a fruit of the spirit, right? Galatians 5.22-23 reminds us the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And therefore, what looks like self-control is actually the result of letting the Holy Spirit take control. Self-control, biblically speaking, means living by the Spirit or keeping in step with 
The Spirit, as Paul puts it in Galatians 5. It's only as we yield to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us that we can ever even begin to hope to exercise self-control. Which brings us to our second main point, and that's self-control expanded. Now, as we began today's lesson, I asked you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So we go there now. And here in verses 24 through 27, the Apostle Paul expands a bit on the marks of a self-controlled, a.k.a. spirit-controlled life. Follow along in your Bible as I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We pick up Paul's words in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now from this passage, we see three distinct marks of a self-controlled life. Number one, a self-controlled life is one with purpose. A self-controlled life is one with purpose. Paul says in verse 24, run in such a way as to get the prize. And he says in verse 26, do not run like a man running aimlessly. Do not fight like a man beating the air. I mean, simply put, run the race, fight the fight with purpose. And what is our purpose? Paul answers in verse 25, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Folks, we're in a race. We're in a fight. And the goal here is to finish. (laughs) The goal is to win. The goal is the prize, the crown, the victor's wreath that awaits us at the finish line. And I fear that sometimes we... Just lose sight of that finish line. We forget that we're in a race. We forget that we're fighting a real enemy in a real battle with real consequences. I think sometimes we just think we're out for a leisurely jog. (laughs) And if your jogging experience is anything like mine, when the alarm goes off, I'm more likely to hit snooze and choose to stay in bed than to get up early to work out. Hmm? I think we forget that we are on a battleship. We are God's armies. We're we're soldiers on active duty on the front lines. Instead, we would rather believe that we're on a cruise ship. (laughs) Yeah, pass me another one of those fruity drinks while I lay here on this lounge (laughs) soaking up the sun on the deck. Ah, This is the life. Hello? I mean, is it any wonder there's so many people who claim to be believers who are living lazy, neglectful, out-of-control lives? They are no more self-controlled than the person who doesn't even know Christ. What they do and say and think is no different than the unbeliever who lives next door to them. 
Why? Because they've forgotten their purpose. They've lost sight of the finish line. They've forgotten they're in this race to win it. They're in this fight to win it. There's a prize. There's a crown. There's a purpose. I love the way the message paraphrases verses 26 and 27. Let's read them out loud together. Would you read them with me? I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I just love the way that says that. Paul put it this way, Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. I keep going on, grasping ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasped me. My brothers, I do not consider myself to have fully grasped it even now, but I do concentrate on this. With hands outstretched to whatever lies ahead, I go straight for the goal. (laughs) So first, a self-controlled life is one with purpose. Number two, A self-controlled life is one with discipline. A self-controlled life is one with discipline. Notice that Paul begins verse 27 here in 1 Corinthians 9. I beat my body. Boy, that's kind of weird, isn't it? I beat my body. Notice how some other versions translate the same phrase. Good news. I harden my body. Living Bible, like an athlete, I punish my body, treating it roughly. Revised Standard Version, I pummel and bruise my body. New Living Translation, I discipline my body like a boxer. Yeah, that's exactly what Paul is saying here. That's the picture. Did you know that as a boxer trains, one of the disciplines that he or she goes through to toughen up his or her body is to actually take punches? Literally, in the gym, before the fight, the real fight, they just sit there and they allow people to beat on them like a punching bag. Why? Because the body's literally beaten, bruised, and pummeled so that when the boxer gets in the ring for the actual fight, he or she can endure the blows from his or her adversary. And that's the picture that Paul is wanting us to see here in the first part of verse 27. It's a picture of self-discipline. And discipline is a vital part of self-control. But we really don't like the D word, do we? Huh? I mean, who really wants to discipline himself or herself? (laughs) The old American Standard Version translates the beginning of 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, I buffet my body. (laughs) But I think we misread it in English. We thought it said, I buffet my body. (laughs) Ah, yeah, that's what he must have said. I buffet my... Now we're back on the cruise ship, you know? Yeah, I can eat that buffet 24 hours a day, man. I'm going to buffet my body. (laughs) That's not what he said. Seriously. Without discipline, we'll get nowhere in life. If we're not self-disciplined, we will not be self-controlled, spirit-controlled. If we choose not to discipline ourselves each and every day, we will live an empty life, void of any power and lacking self-control. 
So how then do we beat, do we punish, bruise, pummel, harden, buffet our bodies? What kind of spiritual disciplines are needed? Well, the Bible mentions a number of disciplines that should be a part of our daily lives. And down through the centuries, these spiritual disciplines have been recognized as basic and fundamental to our spirit-controlled lives. In his now classic book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster identifies 12 of them, and he puts them in three categories. First of all, there's the inward disciplines of meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. Secondly, there's the outward disciplines of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And then thirdly, there are the corporate disciplines you do together with others of confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Now obviously our time restraints don't allow us to dive into these 12 areas of discipline this morning. I can only recommend Foster's book to you. Personally, I believe it's a must-read for every serious-minded Christ follower. Let me just quote a short section from the first chapter. Let me read this to you. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. The classical disciplines of the spiritual life call us to move beyond the surface living into the depths. They invite us to explore the inner caverns of the spiritual realm. They urge us to be the answer to a hollow world. We must not be led to believe that the disciplines are only for spiritual giants and hence beyond our reach, or only for contemplatives who devote all of their time to prayer and meditation. Far from it. God intends for the disciplines of the spiritual life to be for ordinary human beings like you and me. Neither should we think of the spiritual disciplines as some dull drudgery aimed at exterminating laughter from the face of the earth. (laughs) Joy is the keynote of all these disciplines. The purpose of the disciplines is liberation from the stifling slavery of self-interest and fear. When the inner spirit is liberated from all that weighs it down, it can hardly be described as dull drudgery. In our enthusiasm to practice the disciplines, we may fail to practice discipline. The life that's pleasing to God is not a series of religious duties. We have only one thing to do, namely to experience a life of relationship and intimacy with God. I love the way he ends that. In other words, this is not a checklist, folks. It's not another, oh, now some more religious duties i got to do. You know, Got to check these off. Got to go through the motions. You know, If I'm going to be the Christian, that's what Pastor Mark said. You know, no, that's not at all what Pastor Mark said. Pastor Mark said, fall in love with Jesus. Amen. It's all about the relationship. And if you want to grow more intimate in your relationship with God, then practice these disciplines. Let's read Proverbs 5 and verse 23 out loud together. He will die because he lacks discipline and he will be held captive by his own out-of-control foolishness. When I read that verse, I, I can't help but think that that's where a lot of people are in their lives today. Right there. Lacking discipline, living out-of-control lives of foolishness. 
But that's not where we want to be, is it? Huh? Oh, wait a minute. Come on, I gotta get a response. Out of you. That's not where we want to be, is it? No, no. Oh, that's better. I just want to make sure you're not out there yawning. <laughs> so, second, a self-controlled life is one with discipline. Number three, a self-controlled life is one with submission. A self-controlled life is one with submission. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Immediately after Paul writes in verse 27, I beat my body, he continues, and make it my slave. The Greek word here speaks of subduing or subjecting. It's what the World English Bible translation says, and bring it into submission. And at the end of verse 27, Paul tells us why. So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What? Paul? Disqualified? You've got to be kidding me! No. Paul is dead serious. See, the athletes of Paul's day followed very strict training regiments. And they could be disqualified from participating in the Olympic Games if they were found to have broken any of the rules. We're the same thing today, don't we? Athletes can be banned from competition for taking performance-enhancing drugs, even certain over-the-counter medicines. And so the athlete submits himself or herself to a higher authority, a higher standard. And as Christ followers, we too must exercise self-control by submitting ourselves to a higher authority. We must submit ourselves to a higher standard, and that is the person of Jesus Christ who must be the Master and the Lord of our lives. James 4 verse 7 simply instructs us, submit yourselves then to God. And if we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit of self-control in and through our lives, we must live in submission 24-7. Guess what? Your life here on this earth is not about you. <laughs> Wake up! No yawning! <gasps> Let's gasp! Your life on this earth is not about you. It's all about Jesus. Everything we do and say and think is for Jesus. We must live in submission to Him. So third, a self-controlled life is one with submission. And so the Apostle Paul expands on self-control, spirit control, here in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. And from this passage, we see three distinct marks of a self-controlled life. Purpose, discipline, and submission. Which brings us to our final main point today, and that's self-control expressed. At the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. <sighs> Man, that's a list, huh? And right smack in the middle of it, don't miss that phrase, without 
self-control. Pretty much describes the world we live in today, doesn't it? Without self-control. So how's your self-control this morning? Would you be able to pass the marshmallow test? Watch this. give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. Alright. self-control is to be expressed in much more important ways than just passing the marshmallow test. 
So in what areas of our lives should we express self-control, spirit control? Well, the easy answer, of course, would be just say everywhere. But frankly, that answer gets us nowhere. So let's narrow it down just a little bit. I can identify seven areas in the Bible that speak to us directly about expressing self-control. Fasten your seatbelt. I'm going to give these to you rather quickly. Number one, my body. Again, in 1 Corinthians, that passage we just looked at, Paul said, I beat my body and make it my slave. In essence, Paul was saying here, I'm going to master my body. I am not going to allow my body to master me. Now, I really don't like to talk about this one very much (laughs) because I struggle with it. But I have a feeling a few of you do too. The reality is many of us struggle with self-control when it comes to our bodies. Whether it's diet or exercise or other health issues, we need to make this, frankly, a higher priority. Read Romans 12 and verse 1 out loud with me. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice. Yeah. Number two, my mind. Frankly, the mind is the battlefield of our lives. The key to mastering our minds is submitting our thoughts to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Is that true of your mind, by the way? Is there purpose, discipline, and submission in what you are feeding your mind day in and day out? No. Number three, my words. James 3, verses 7 and 8 warns us, We humans are able to tame and have tamed all other creatures, wild animals and birds, reptiles and fish, but no one has ever been able to tame the tongue. It is evil and uncontrollable, full of deadly poison. Now the point is that no human, notice this, can tame the tongue, but God can. Right? And as we allow the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit of self-control, as we yield to the Spirit's control, walking and living in the Spirit each day, even our words become affected by that. But it won't happen by our own willpower or our own fierce determination. Number four, my finances. Proverbs 21, verse 20, I think just kind of says it all. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. (laughs) And this is one of the most blatant and out of control sin areas in our world today. And Christians, by the way, are not immune to this temptation. From spiraling debt to robbing God of His tithe, self-control is often lacking. Number five, my lust... Man, you talk about an out-of-control sin in our world today. Whether it's the addiction to pornography, premarital or extramarital sex, homosexuality, or one of many other forms of immorality, this is a sin that seems to me to be without boundaries in our culture today. We could definitely learn from Job's resolve, Job 31 and verse 1, I've made a solemn promise never to look with lust at a woman. And you women know how to say, at a man. 
Number six, my temper. <laughs> we live in an out-of-control, angry world today. Read Proverbs 29 and verse 11 out loud with me. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. <laughs> Enough said. Number seven, my habits. My habits. Now to be blunt, the word of the day here in our culture is the word addiction. But what we're talking about here is any bad habit that controls us. Look at Proverbs 23, verses 29 and 30. Who has trouble? Who has pain? Who fights? Who complains? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is people who drink too much wine, who try out all different kinds of strong drinks. Now, I realize that this passage specifically addresses the addiction of alcoholism, but I believe that this principle is much, much broader than just alcohol. Any addiction to drugs, illegal or over-the-counter, any kind of habit-forming substance whatsoever, anything that controls us is sin. And I suppose we should go beyond substance abuse and mention other kinds of addictions like TV, the Internet, social media, Shopping. Huh. On and on the list goes. So here are seven areas where the Bible speaks to us about self-control. How many days are there in a week, by the way? Anybody? Oh, seven. Oh, isn't that amazing? And there's seven areas of self-control. Isn't that amazing? So guess what? Here's your homework assignment for the coming week. Alright? I want you, if you would, to work on these seven areas one at a time, one day at a time. Starting tomorrow, number one on Monday will be my body. And I want you to, to go back over that point once again. I want you to look up those Scriptures, maybe some other parallel passages that you could look up in your concordance. And I want you to just prayerfully say, God, would you please search my heart, search my life. Is there any way at all that in regard to my body, I am out of control? Then on Tuesday, number two, my mind... Do the same thing all over again. Look up those Scriptures. Prayerfully ask God to search your heart. God, is there any area with regard to my mind where I am not exercising self-control or spirit control? Then Wednesday, number three. You got it? <laughs> Alright. You'll finish it up next Sunday before you come to church <laughs> with your habits. But spend... Sometime prayerfully considering your self-control in each of these areas. That's the way to apply what we've talked about in a very practical way today. The fruit of the Spirit. 
This morning we focused on the ninth and final virtue of the Christian life, the ninth quality of the inner character of a genuine, authentic Christ follower, and that's self-control. Galatians 5.22 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And to be self-controlled means to be Spirit-controlled, and to be Spirit-controlled requires purpose, discipline, and submission. Let's wrap up today's lesson by reading Titus 2, verses 11 and 12 out loud together. Would you read this with me? For the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. <gasps> yeah, Not a yawn, folks. <laughs> a gasp. Doesn't this cause you to gasp a bit as we talk about this this morning? I pray so.